episode 39 of War in the Book of Mormon, part 7.2, Secret Combinations. My day job involves research and teaching about modern-day secret combinations. I read and write about Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and ISIS, and I am often fascinated by how much overlap there is between the stories and teachings in the Book of Mormon and these modern examples of the ancient secret combinations. I believe that what I talk about in this episode and throughout part seven of this podcast series is directly relevant to understanding, explaining, and functioning in the world as it is in 2022. I recommend that you read the following chapters before or after listening to this episode, as these are the chapters in the Book of Mormon that most directly explain secret combinations, Helaman chapters 2, 6, and 11, and Ether chapter 8. In a way, we are jumping ahead of the story a bit, as in the next episode we will address Helaman chapter 1 in some detail. But in this episode, I want to get a sense of the scope scale, and types of secret combinations that existed across the Book of Mormon story. I begin this episode with a quote from then-President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Ezra Taft Benson, as he spoke in the Sunday afternoon session of the October 1988 General Conference of the Church. The talk or speech is titled, I Testify, and what I reference begins 13 minutes and 40 seconds in. Quote, I testify that wickedness is rapidly expanding in every segment of our society. It is more highly organized, more cleverly disguised, and more powerfully promoted than ever before. Secret combinations lusting for power, gain, and glory are flourishing. A secret combination that seeks to overthrow the freedom of all lands, nations, and countries is increasing its evil influence and control over America and the entire world. Close quote. Mormon made very clear the danger posed by the secret combinations within the Book of Mormon when he said in Helaman chapter 2, verse 13, quote, And behold, in the end of this book, ye shall see that this Gadianton did prove the overthrow, yea, almost the entire destruction of the people of Nephi. Close quote. We will note in the next several episodes that robbers and the larger secret combinations they represented were the single greatest danger to the Nephite nation. These robbers were the embodiment of disunity. Their purpose was to pull the state apart. They represent the antithesis of Mormon's primary theme, the importance and necessity of unity for our eternal salvation. Despite their importance, they are not always understood. This episode explains the Book of Mormon conceptualization of secret combinations as I understand it. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What is a secret combination? Secret combination is a phrase that is often used in both the Book of Mormon and in common speech within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but it is not always clear what the expression means or meant. It is clear that Mormon did not use it for a specific group or type of organization throughout the record, as the original group to which he applied the title had to grow and change from one of simple assassination to a more broad-based organization. 
Nephi 1 and his brother Jacob 1 in their prophetic pronouncements discussed the nature of man and the role of secret combinations from the beginning in 2 Nephi 9.9 and in the last days in 2 Nephi 26.22. Secret combinations in these references were and are works that transcend the vision in the Book of Helaman of the Book of Mormon, where the secret combination was a single group simply committing political assassination. Secret combinations, as I literally and conceptually discuss in this episode, are the antithesis of Nephi 1's comment that the Lord God worketh not in darkness from 2 Nephi 26-23. Secret combinations perform their works in literal and metaphorical darkness, attempting to avoid both the light of day and the light of Christ. Alma too warned his son Helaman too about secret combinations as he taught him about the interpreters and their role in bringing to light those things that people seek to keep secret. This instruction was given to Helaman too as Alma too transferred to him the records of the Jaredites as discussed in what we have today as the Book of Ether. But we discussed earlier in episode 15 or part 3.5 of this podcast series. Secret combinations were, at that point, unknown among the Nephites. That point was 74 BC, or the 18th year of the reign of the judges. This quote is contained in Alma chapter 37, verses 27, 29, and 31. Quote, I command you that you retain all their oaths and their covenants and their agreements in their secret combinations, yea, and all their signs and their wonders, ye shall keep from this people, that they know them not, lest peradventure they should fall into darkness also and be destroyed. Therefore, ye shall keep these secret plans of their oaths and their covenants from this people, and only their wickedness and their murders and their abominations shall ye make known unto them, and ye shall teach them to abhor such wickedness and abominations and murders. And ye shall also teach them that these people were destroyed on account of their wickedness and abominations and their murders. Yea, and cursed be the land forever and ever unto those workers of darkness and secret combinations, even unto destruction, except they repent before they are fully ripe. Close quote. Mormon maintained that policy to teach the consequences of the secret combinations without providing the details of how to enter them. Therefore, it can be difficult to fully understand the details of the actions or activities that make up the rather broad collection of secret combinations. Despite this challenge, there are still things that are clear. Intent is at the heart of secret combinations. Murder alone does not make something a secret combination. Linked with the evil or illegal acts are oaths and signs, as we are told in Alma 37.29, and Helaman 6, 21-22. There is a very telling statement made by Mormon in Helaman 6, verse 17, when he says, quote, Therefore they began to set their hearts upon their riches, yea, they began to seek to get gain, that they might be lifted up one above another. Therefore they began to commit secret murders, and to rob and to plunder, that they might get gain. Close quote. Pride, or the desire to set oneself above one's neighbor, is one of the primary motivators for these combinations. Once again, secret combinations are the antithesis of Mormon's emphasis on unity. Mormon made abundantly clear that all of these groups work for the same employer, 
Satan, when he says in Helaman chapter 6, verses 29 to 30, quote, Yea, it is that same being who put it into the heart of Gadianton to still carry on the work of darkness and of secret murder, and he has brought it forth from the beginning of man even down to this time. And behold, it is he who is the author of all sin. And behold, he doth carry on his works of darkness and secret murder, and doth hand down their plots and their oaths and their covenants and their plans of awful wickedness from generation to generation, according as he can get hold upon the hearts of the children of men. Close quote. Much of this pattern was further described in Ether chapter 8 as Jared 2, the daughter of Jared too, and Achish, passed on the secrets of old one to another, and then used these oaths and secret signs and covenants to commit murder in order to gain power and authority, as we are told in Ether 8, 13-16. The robbers sought to live a false and alternative law and lifestyle. They united, as in Helaman 6.21, not for the sake of strength, but for the opportunity to live the ideal vanity, to be happy in sin, as Mormon teaches us in Mormon 2.13. The robbers demonstrated a common trait of such organizations that exist within a larger democratic or republican society. They had their own rules and laws, and though they might use the existing system to gain power, they then used that power to weaken the existing structures and the freedoms and rights of all of the rest of the society. The robbers followed their own laws and not the laws of men or of God, as we are told in Helaman 6.24. This same pattern has held true in the contemporary period as non-state actors have used democratic processes to gain power only to deny the same power to all others. Arguably, the most infamous of those who have done so would be Adolf Hitler. Hamas and Hezbollah have also used similar methods in 2005 in the Palestinian territories and in 2008 and continuing to the present in Lebanon, respectively. How were the secret combinations successful? The robbers succeeded by working amongst the seams and cracks existing in every society. The desire for illegitimate power and authority among the Nephites and the lawless wastes and wilderness in Lamanite lands gave great opportunities for such organizations to grow and gain strength. The route of a non-state actor like the Gadianton robbers has traditionally been to either exploit the lawless wilderness or the urban sprawl and mass. The robbers of the Book of Mormon follow similar patterns as the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, FARC is the acronym based on the Spanish name, of the Jungles of Colombia, the Communist Insurgency and Guerrilla Army of China, the Viet Minh and later Viet Cong of Vietnam, the Somali warlords, the Taliban, the Islamist organizations of Hamas and Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, and so many others of similar bent and persuasion. The robbers were expert at flattery and enticing many to dissent away to them. They offered gratification of worldly and temporal desires rather than the blessings of true eternal joy. They were masters of seduction, as we are told in Helaman 6.38, quote, Believe in their works and partake of their spoils, and to join with them in their secret murders and combinations, close quote. They also sought to keep the people in darkness, as we are told in Ether 8.16, 
Think of how various secret combinations have allowed much of the society in which they operated the room to be ignorant of their evil works, thereby producing in that society an unconscious tolerance for their acts of darkness. The secret combinations also assisted those who sought to dominate others as expressed in Ether 816. These ancient techniques and methods are widely applied in the modern world where numerous parallels are evident. I now want to address each of the two geographic areas in turn. The city provides cover and potential converts as well as needed resources. The wilderness provides solitude and protection from the military of the state. Robbers among the Nephites, city robbers. Later in the book of Helaman, the reader is given the story of the growth of the robbers within the Nephite cities and society. The most famous Book of Mormon band of robbers began in the city of Zarahemla with the oath and successful assassination of the chief judge in the 40th year of the reign of the judges, as we are told in Helaman 1.9. We read in Helaman chapter 2, verses 5 to 10, of the attempted murder of Helaman 3, when he was the chief judge in the 42nd year of the reign of the judges. This scriptural episode will be discussed in some detail in a later podcast episode. There is also the dual murder of chief judges, father and son, in the 66th year of the reign of the judges, as recorded in Helaman 6.15. Additionally, we have the murder mystery of a chief judge in the 71st year of the reign of the judges, as recorded in Helaman 8.27-9.38. This is just the highest level of secret combination activity in a 30 or so year period. Think about the shaping of policy through assassination of political leaders. This is usually the last step after bribery, extortion, and other means of subversion and coercion have failed. The example of Lebanon from 2005 to 2008 is very appropriate where those who opposed positive relationships with Syria were regularly assassinated to shape the national policy. Those assassinations were not the only effort to shape the national policy, but they were the most well-publicized. Think about all of the other means of corruption and crime that must have been engaged in during this same Book of Mormon period that we are talking about. I hope that this brief effort places the murders of chief judges or governors in a better context of a general lack of legitimate legal control throughout the Nephite state. Over this same 30-year period of the 40th to 70th years of the reign of the judges, the Nephites experienced two periods of civil war, one from the 46th to the 54th years of the reign of the judges, as we are told in Helaman chapter 3, verses 2 to 22, and again from the 72nd to the 74th years of the reign of the judges, as recorded in Helaman 10, verse 18 to 11, verse 5. The rise of the Gadianton robbers and the general robber culture within Nephite society was not caused by the failure of the central government to maintain control but rather the robbers were a symptom of the breakdown of the culture itself. Within a healthy and Christ-centered culture, there is no room for robber growth and influence. It is important to emphasize that I mean the society as a whole and not individuals, as we will discuss in a future episode where during these difficult times, both the chief judge and chief captain were prophets, and still the society was corrupt and weak. 
The Nephites also experienced periods where their culture and society were dominated and controlled by the robber culture. In two specific periods, the 67th to the 74th years of the reign of the judges, as we are told in Helaman 6, 16 to 11, 5, and the 83rd to 92nd years of the reign of the judges, as recorded in Helaman 11, 30 to 3 Nephi 1, 24. The Nephite culture was itself wicked and much more like the robber culture than like the culture of Christ. In both cases, these periods were ended by divine interventions and miraculous events. The first was ended when the people turned to the Lord during a famine brought on and ended by the request of Nephi 6, as we are told in Helaman chapter 11 verses 3 to 17. The second period came to an end following the miraculous signs that accompanied the birth of Jesus Christ. The second period of Nephites being more like the robber culture has the added irony that it occurred during a period when the robbers themselves had created a separate state, as we are told in Helaman chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. At that time, they were able to carve out a portion of the Lamanite-controlled lands and create an environment from which they functioned just as if they were a state equal to that of the Nephites and greater than the Lamanites. Robbers among the Lamanites, wilderness robbers, and the robber kingdom. This leads to the robbers' use of the wilderness. Though the robbers achieved success in infiltration of Nephite cities, their greatest success came in the domination of the Lamanite wilderness. The robbers first sought to dominate the Lamanites and were driven out, as we are told in Helaman 6.37, and as I will discuss in a few minutes. The 80th year of the reign of the judges began the formation of a robber kingdom in the wilderness of the Lamanites. The impetus for the formation of this band was again a dissension from the Nephites, as we are told in Helaman 11.24. The robbers began to attack the Nephites through raids within the same year as their establishment. This is noteworthy in that the robber culture needed violence to survive. Without the performance of violence or the imminent potential of violence, there was no way to maintain robber unity. This pattern remains true today. All robber cultures or secret combinations require a continuous performance of violence to maintain any sense of cohesion or unity of effort. This is why negotiations with these sorts of groups typically fail. Leaders of secret combinations know that the moment they agree to end violence, regardless of the concessions they receive, they will lose control of their subordinates and the entire organization will begin to fall apart. History is replete with the rise and collapse of such organizations. The Nephites responded to the violence with an offensive of their own, as recorded in Helaman chapter 11, verses 27 to 29. This was an immediate response to the robber activities in the 80th year of the reign of the judges, but the Nephites failed to defeat the robbers. In fact, Mormon says in Helaman chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, quote, they sent an army of strong men into the wilderness and upon the mountains to search out this band of robbers and to destroy them. But behold, it came to pass that in the same year they were driven back even into their own lands. Close quote. The reason for the failure of this campaign is not given, except in the nature of the campaign. Mormon says that they went into the wilderness and upon the mountains. 
the Nephites went into the robber strongholds and therefore fought the battle on the terrain with which their opponent was most familiar. This reason seems sufficient for the failure. However, the Nephites did not quit, but again in the 81st year of the reign of the judges, the second offensive was launched. And this time, Mormon said that they did destroy many, but he also said in Helaman 11 verse 30 that they were visited with much destruction. Once again, this campaign had been waged on the robbers' terrain, and the Nephites had to withdraw from the wilderness and mountains. The pursuit of the enemy into their stronghold is foolhardy, even for an army of strong and mighty men. Though no details are given, Mormon did make it clear in Helaman 11.32 that both the Nephites and the Lamanites were sending armies against the robbers and failing in their desire to destroy them. The repeated failures of the Nephite armies and the continued growth and expansion of robber armies and influence probably was a catalyst in the transformation of Nephite culture closer to the robber culture mentioned previously. The robbers continued to increase in strength both through willing dissension from the Nephites and Lamanites and through rage which procured women and children as captives. This robber or secret combination kingdom continued to grow and infest the mountains throughout the Nephite wickedness, the signs of Christ's birth, and the Nephite repentance. Much of this growth was through dissenters who flowed out from the Nephites during the times of weakening faith or dulling impressions of the miracles that caused some to temporarily believe in the words of the prophets, as we are told in 3 Nephi 1.28. In the Lamanite areas, the danger came from Zoramites, who enticed the rising generation to the robbers. By 13 AD, or the 104th year of the reign of the judges, a tipping point was reached in that the robber kingdom was as powerful as the Nephites and caused a constant level of destruction. The destruction had escalated as entire settlements and cities were being destroyed rather than the previous simple raids for prisoners. What happened next is addressed in a later episode and does not need to be repeated here. The key element was that the robbers used the wilderness as a place of safety where they were able to defend themselves and build an organization strong enough to attack the opposing states. No longer were they simply robbers. They had an army. How were states successful against the secret combinations? There are four instances where success was achieved against the robbers in some fashion or another. The first instance was previously mentioned in that it was a period of repentance brought on by a famine requested by a prophet of God, as expressed in Helaman 11.10. Each of the other three will be addressed here. The first and second will be discussed in detail, and the third in only a cursory fashion, as a later episode will discuss it more fully. Proactive and Disguised The first successful move against the robbers came early in their existence. This was the story of Helaman III's servant, who found out about the plot to kill Helaman III when he was the chief judge in the 42nd year of the reign of the judges. This is a short story in the Book of Mormon of only 10 verses, but it is one of the most instructive and detailed sections in terms of the battle against secret combinations in the entire record. Thus, it is worthy of a detailed analysis. Gadianton convinced Kishkumen and his band that if they would get him the judgment seat, they would all be rewarded. 
Therefore, Kishkumen sought to destroy Helaman III, as we are told in Helaman chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. The rest of the story follows, as I quote from Helaman chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. And it came to pass, as he went forth towards the judgment seat to destroy Helaman, behold, one of the servants of Helaman, having been out by night and having obtained through disguise a knowledge of those plans which had been laid by this band to destroy Helaman. And it came to pass that he met Kishkumen, and he gave unto him a sign. Therefore Kishkumen made known unto him the object of his desire, desiring that he would conduct him to the judgment seat, that he might murder Helaman. And when the servant of Helaman had known all the heart of Kishkumen, and how that it was his object to murder, and also that it was the object of all those who belonged to his band to murder and to rob and to gain power, and this was their secret plan and their combination, the servant of Helaman said unto Kishkumen, Let us go forth unto the judgment seat. Now this did please Kishkumen exceedingly, for he did suppose that he should accomplish his design. But behold, the servant of Helaman, as they were going forth unto the judgment seat, did stab Kishkumen even to the heart, that he fell dead without a groan. And he ran and told Helaman all the things which he had seen and heard and done. And it came to pass that Helaman did send forth to take this band of robbers and secret murderers, that they might be executed according to the law. But behold, when Gadianton had found that Kishkumen did not return, he feared, lest that he should be destroyed. Therefore he caused that his band should follow him. And they took their flight out of the land by a secret way into the wilderness. And thus, when Helaman sent forth to take them, they could nowhere be found. Close quote. As I have said over and over again, the details are important. In this account, one of Helaman III's servants had already infiltrated the robber band. This counterintelligence must have begun immediately upon Helaman III assuming the judgment seat, as the servant was clearly well-versed in all of the details of the secret combinations in terms of greetings, signs, and confirmations. He was able to quickly gain the confidence of the second highest member of the band, this was no small feat, and it speaks volumes of the successful infiltration of the band. It is sad to note that no similar infiltration was noted at any other time in the record. The servant went directly to Helaman III to report. This implied that he was in fact a direct servant of Helaman III, and maybe only the chief judge knew of his infiltration, which is why it succeeded. None of the agents of the robbers could report because no one else knew. The exposure of the servant resulted in the warning of the band, and clearly they improved their internal security after this failure. Even in modern times, there are critical events that are worth a counterintelligence agent blowing his or her cover. The protection of a head of state would be one such event. The ability of the servant to kill Kishkumen and protect the chief judge was a remarkable success against a secret combination. It was only possible because of the proactive nature of Helaman III in authorizing one of his servants to infiltrate the secret combination and disguise his nature as a counterintelligence agent. This was a bold move by the judge. This proactive boldness was and is essential to gain success against these types of organizations, both temporal and spiritual. Total united commitment. Hunt and preach. 
The Lamanites also enjoyed early success against the robbers as they applied total united commitment to their fight. I quote from Helaman chapter 6, verses 20 and 37. And now, when it came to pass that the Lamanites found that there were robbers among them, they were exceedingly sorrowful, and they did use every means in their power to destroy them off the face of the earth. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did hunt the band of robbers of Gadianton, and they did preach the word of God among the more wicked part of them, insomuch that this band of robbers was utterly destroyed from among the Lamanites. Close quote. The use of the phrase, every means, denotes a complete commitment to rid themselves of this evil. The meaning Mormon provides is that when we truly wish to be free of evil and are willing to do whatever it takes, then we can be free of the evil. This was contrasted by the Nephite half-hearted approach that allowed robbers to not only exist, but thrive within their cities as previously mentioned. The Lamanites also applied a two-front approach to the fight. They did not simply fight them on a physical battlefield. They fought them on a spiritual and ideological battlefield as well. This is what I call in my day job, narrative war. This combination of approaches was part of every means, but it is a very important method that is often missed in fighting similar organizations throughout history. Usually, states have applied either an ideological approach or a military one, and not both. Even when both approaches are applied, the ideological approach is often weakened in that it is not usually based on the eternal principles as is the Word of God. The Lamanites used true and eternal principles to demonstrate the bankrupt nature upon which the actions of the robbers were based. They also applied the force of armed conflict to show that there was no hope in this world or the next. The Lamanites drove their opponents to despair by showing them Lamanite determination and the strength of their conceptual and physical position. This combination of true principles and armed engagement is essential to the military option of removing secret combinations. Complete Unity The third successful method described in the Book of Mormon for defeating secret combinations was advocated and led by Laconius as a chief judge of the Nephites, as we have it recorded in 3 Nephi chapters 2, 3, and 4. He called the Nephites and like-minded Lamanites to physically gather themselves and their sustenance in a single settlement and there, in complete and perfect physical and ideological unity, face the robbers in the strength of their position and supply. This is the subject of a later episode, but the method was successful and therefore necessary for comment here. Conclusion We now live in a world where armed conflict is dominated by states fighting the modern equivalent of the Gadian robbers. The non-state actors of today are typically seeking the same things that Kishkumen, Gadianton, Akish, and Jared too sought thousands of years ago. They want to dominate their fellow men by means of secret organizations, oaths, signs, and covenants. They seek financial gain and power, and they want and need to gain these things through violence or the threat of violence. Greed and violence are the touchstones of ancient and modern secret combinations. 
I want to point out that in the Book of Mormon story, secret combinations are not one thing. They are many different types of things across the story and sometimes at the same time. Secret combinations do not necessarily work together and cooperate with each other. At times, they are their own enemies. My point is that the story provides secret combinations in their complexities as they are today. In the Book of Mormon, we are first introduced to secret combinations and robbers as political assassins. Later, we are told that they were thieves, manipulators, con artists, organized criminals, terrorists, corrupt officials, secret bureaucracies, and perverted versions of states. They were some, many, and all of these things at the same time. They attacked normal people and other robbers or secret combinations. As I record this in 2022, it is useful to look at Afghanistan or Iraq or Somalia or Yemen as examples of just such environments where multiple robber groups fight each other. Some are in positions of dominance and even state leadership, while others attack them. They use coercion, violence, and drug smuggling to maintain control of the population, as well as corrupted forms of religious ideology. I could expand the examples beyond the obvious, but I want to stick with the obvious for now to make my point that if there is no other example, and there are plenty of other examples, the emphasis on secret combinations and Gadiant robbers is one example that the Book of Mormon is directly and critically relevant to your life right now. We live in the historical equivalent of the books of Helaman and 3rd Nephi, and it would do us all well to understand how secret combinations operated and why they were able to achieve success. Even more importantly, we must understand how the Nephites and Lamanites succeeded in fighting these groups. We, like they, can be successful in defeating those who seek to imperil us as individuals or as societies. Many of the lessons learned will come in later episodes, but I want to emphasize that this is not an exercise in academic history. The fight against secret combinations in the Book of Mormon and the lessons learned from those fights are essential for us to apply in the defense of our current temporal existence and our own eternal souls. The battle and competition between the covenants of the Lord and the secret combinations of Satan are spelled out effectively in the famous contrasting teachings of the Doctrine and Covenants in section 121, verses 34 to 36. Quote, Behold, there are many called, but few are chosen. And why are they not chosen? Because their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men that they do not learn this one lesson, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven, and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. Close quote. Secret combinations entice and seduce us to set our hearts upon the things of the world and to look to men. We can be supportive of secret combinations just by being intimidated by the good opinion of the world. If we stay securely in our fortifications and concede the battlefield to the robbers, then we grant them success just as surely as if we actively support them. 
We must be bold and battle with the robbers and focus on the power of the priesthood and the covenants we have made. I want to emphasize that I mean battle in a conceptual sense, except for those who are forced through circumstances like those in Afghanistan, Yemen, and other places where fighting with robbers is quite real and literal. The next episode discusses Gadiant robbers at the beginning in the Book of Mormon story in Helaman chapter 1. Here we will see Mormon's editorial foreshadowing as he expresses that war was changing. It didn't happen all at once, but it began in that chapter. I invite you to reach out and ask questions and send comments to me on Facebook at War in the Book of Mormon or at War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. All one word, War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. Until next time.